Ladies and gentlemen, this is This is The Real Mission Impossible Show With your host, Lucien Jay Are you ready? We search the globe for the most amazing people who have overcome incredible obstacles Demonstrated amazing resilience, done the impossible I said, are you ready? Join, Join the real coach and Jay on the Real Mission Impossible show. Meeting legends from Dubai, South Africa, Nairobi, New York, London, wherever they are to make it possible for the Real Impossible with Coach MJ. The Real Mission Impossible show starts in... Let's count down together! 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... Boom! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Mission Impossible with Coach MJ. Tonight, our next episode, our next guest rather, is an American hero. He's the kind of hero that you would never unassumingly believe that he was that type of a person. And yet to know his background and to read about what he's done, what he accomplished and how he was honored by receiving one of the Navy cross medals. Very few people in the world living have received it. I'd like to welcome this gentleman who's been through the toughest training in the world. He's known amongst his peers as the toughest soldier, the toughest warrior ever trained. He's gone through, Navy SEAL training, Special Forces training. There wasn't a training that could break him. And tonight, I'm going to bring him on here because he's now inspiring others. His name is Aubrey McDade, and it's an honor, sir, to have you here on the Mission I'm Possible show. Thank you for coming. It's an honor for me to be here. Thank you for having me. Aubrey, tell me, what are you spending your time these days? How are you, how are you coping in COVID? COVID really stunned us around here, but I'm extremely blessed. My life now is amazing. I got out of the Marine Corps December 2017, and I found the love of my life. I am a father of, you won't guess how many kids I have, but I'm a father of nine. I have one on the way with my fiance. I'm newly engaged. We are starting our life together here in Irving. We probably won't stay here, but we're probably going to move around probably sometime next year. Well, congratulations. And you're right, I would never have thought to, uh, to go that high with the math. Incredible, what a blessing you have. And I'm sure you yes, make sir. a great dad for all of them. I try, thank you so much. Yes, sir. And in addition yes, to that, I am so excited about being a part of the Thomason Center of Excellence. I have an opportunity to be an impact player for tomorrow's leaders at the athlete level from high school all the way to the pros. What we do is we have an opportunity to impact tomorrow's leaders by making elite citizens. And we do that by removing the idea that certainty is a thing. A lot of these kids believe that they're certain they're gonna do this. Or a lot of people live their lives believing in certainty and we just don't teach that. Certainty is not a real thing. Certainty is a ghost. So what we do is me using the things I've learned in Marine Corps, coming from the humble beginnings I come from, I connect with these children or these young men, excuse me, I connect with them and I teach them different skills to be able to apply to themselves in their lives as they move forward throughout the journey to being tomorrow's leaders. So the Thomason Center allows us to have the impact on tomorrow's leaders at the athlete level from high school all the way to the pros. I think that's wonderful. Tonight, I was just thinking about you before you came on the show, and I thought, what a great career you had. And now, how can you leverage that? How can you segue to empower and impact the lives of the youth? And you've just done it. you you already have a, an advocacy that you're, that's near and dear to your heart. It seems like it's the right uh, fit for you, and I wish you all the best with that. That's wonderful. So 
Uh, how did you get involved with this? I'm gonna say God's plan. It found me. It fell in my lap. When I got out of the Marine Corps, one of my Marine Corps, he wasn't my friend in the Marine Corps, but he found me on LinkedIn and I started doing a job out here in uh, Capella, Texas with Veridesk. They created the sit the stand desk top solutions and desk apparatuses that allow you to work from the standing or sitting position, keep you more active in the workplace. And a guy that was a drill instructor who ran into one of the Marines that I personally trained and served with as well, told him about this program. He was out here doing it. And just the Marine Corps and the world alone being so small, one of my Marines I served in Fallujah with reached out to me and told me about this program and told me about how awesome it was and told me I'd be a good fit for it. I met up with Cliff Dean. I haven't got a chance to meet LaDainia and Tomlinson yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. Not sure if you know LaDainia and Tomlinson, but he's a Hall of Fame running back from San Diego Chargers. So a little backstory about him. He, when he graduated college from TCU and got drafted to the NFL, he truly admired the mental toughness and the mental resilience that us as Marines carry. I think military overall, but I think he has a soft spot in his heart for Marines. He used to have Marine Corps drill starters train with him and stuff like that. And he believes that that allowed him to be more mentally prepared to take on the rigors of the NFL life. And he came out as a Hall of Fame running back now. And now in this program, he started believing in the things that we've done to you know, fight the nation's wars for over 250 years. So I mean, if it worked for the Marine Corps, it, it definitely can work for tomorrow's leaders. I'm sure it will. And one of the values, I, I grew up with a military family. My grandfather was a commander in the Navy and my uncle was a Marine. So they had a lot of influence, you know, on us growing up. And we were, we were eight fellows, right, in our, in our tribe. But for sure, being the eldest, I had to, everything was given to me first. And then I learned how to delegate to my younger brothers as we grew up. But for sure, the mantle that you're carrying today, discipline is the number one core value that I found, the mil that, that particularly the Marine Corps, could add value to any career. Yes, sir. And, and because of that discipline, and, and I can use the word hardcore, it's hardcore discipline, and it is can serve you. It did serve my uncle for a lifetime, certainly other Marines that I've met and I've had the privilege to know while they served and, and then as civilians, uh, outstanding, uh, unbelievable uh, people, for sure. Yes, sir. So leadership is a great topic, and you don't have to be an officer to be a leader. You don't have to be a Marine to be a leader. My daughter, when she was in high school, and she's not the biggest girl in the class, but she may be the feistiest. I found out she was quite a leader. Leadership comes in different forms and different sizes. But the leadership that these young men can have through your program will give them somebody to look up to. So a role model, a model to follow. They'll have some ethics, which obviously you have and other people around you have. You build this model for them. And they'll have a reason to follow it. And you'll give them that impetus you'll give them that reason to to be better and that's what i love about this program i really really do thank you so much i think the favorite thing for me in this program is i'll be the first one to tell everyone i wasn't the most hardcore dude and i didn't know everything and as a leader i think a lot of leaders misconstrue that i have to know everything yes you got to be the best version of yourself but you don't know you don't have to know everything that's why you have a team and i was successful with surrounding myself with guys that were as good if not better than me which allowed me to be successful yeah and when when you take that kind of statement that you just made and you translate that into the corporate world you find out that there are a lot of insecure leaders who feel that they need to know everything because they want to control everything 
and because they don't want anybody to come up with an idea that they didn't have, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Most definitely. You, but then you have different styles of leadership. So, for example, I was brought up under military leadership. So I knew, for example, when, you know, my, as I said, my grandfather was a commander. So when he barked, <laughs> you right. jumped. You know, that's how high. You knew it was time to jump. So you have this, you have this authoritative leadership. And, you know, there's a, there's a code of honor and there's a code of respect and there's a code of duty. And so if you, one of your seniors gives you an order, you, you follow the chain of command and you, you're obedient to that particular order or instruction that you've been given, but not necessarily when you're dealing with young children or young boys or young kids. They, they don't have this. There's no military code of governance to make sure that, hey, if you cross the line, you're going to end up in the stockade. Right. I think what most of the kids experience nowadays is they are challenged with doing what's popular and doing what's right and worried about all of the white noise in the middle of, are these kids going to like me after I do this? So I truly enjoy being able to get them out of their comfort zone, making them have courage where others don't, and putting them in a position to understand that if you do all the small things right, everything else is going to fall in place. And once the other people that are following you, they don't even know they're following you. Once they see success, they're going to have your back. Sure, sure. Again, because there's a model to follow. Aubrey, what is your view? Do you think you're going to run into obstacles uh, with this program? Yes, sir. I'm going to run into a lot of obstacles because I'm probably going to meet many me. I'm probably going to meet that guy or that gal for that point, probably coming from an area where they probably don't believe it's possible. I'm probably going to meet a person that may have a different viewpoint. Or I might meet a person who may have some adversity at home. And there's going to be some other uncertainties that I can't possibly predict right now. I can't cross the bridge until I get to them. But I do know that I have enough investment in them with my heart that I care about their well-being and their success for tomorrow, then I'm going to figure it out. It's not an option. And they can take the easy way out and let me win early or we can fight for it and I'm going to win. Either way, it's going to happen. Okay, good. Do you, yes, have, a, do you have a curriculum? Is there a, a structured program that they'll go through and finish? Yes, sir. The Thomas Center has done a lot of extensive research. Uh, there's a curriculum that I teach, and I couple that with my own personal experience prior to the military and even – doing my thing in the Marine Corps, I package that and I deliver it to the kids and I can connect with them on different levels. Having been a drill instructor, just being in the Marine Corps, you get a chance to meet people from all walks of life. There won't be a kid that I've, I haven't seen before. So I don't foresee that being an issue. It's just me getting them to understand and believe that it's possible that they can be in a position of leadership. You don't have to be the fastest or the strongest. You just have to probably have the biggest heart and the biggest heart meaning that you care the most. Yes, and you know, leadership is a, again, a great topic, it's a huge topic. There is a new word been kicking around the last 10 years. Aubrey, it's called self-leadership. What do you think about that? Self-leadership, my opinion of self-leadership is you gotta hold yourself accountable. You showing up to be the best version of yourself, but more importantly, if I had to pick one thing that's probably the most important for self-leadership is allowing yourself to be vulnerable. I think that probably takes the most courage of everything is being vulnerable and let your guys know, hey man, I don't know right now, but we're gonna figure it out together. Or I can't do that, but we gotta figure out how to make it happen. We'll and allowing someone else can, to right? Yes, yeah, sure. Yes, sir. Exactly. That's great. Um, That's great. I think and you'd, want, my... you'd want kids to grow up like that, right? Not to not yes, to sir. Have arrogance, right? To, right? to be open. That's what you mean by the vulnerability part. I get that. Exactly. Yes, sir. And how long is the program? Is it a certain number of days, weeks, months? 
hours. Well, what did, track it. Well, what did, so I meet with different high schools once a week for maybe an hour or two for the actual program. But my goal is to be involved in the school. I just truly believe in what we're doing. And I just want everyone else to be aware of what we're doing as well, because we're going to be changing lives uh, throughout the school because you infect one or two kids. No kids start believing it's possible. Then it starts to grow throughout that school, which in turn will have an impact on the entire school. Not to mention, it's not just for the program is targeted towards athletes, obviously, because that's what the program is designed for. But I also have an opportunity to be able to reach those other kids who may be having some trouble in other areas as well. So I can impact them as well. The kids, they start the program. They're select kids that are picked by the coaches from the captain's development. That's what we call it. They go through the program for the entire four years if I catch them as freshmen. And they get a profile built for them and everything. It's about you know, the personality, the initiative, the things they do off the field. Because most colleges want to know, okay, yeah, this kid, he can run a 4 4 40 and he weighs 220 pounds and bench press 225 pounds maybe 30 times. What is he like off the field? What is his character? I get a chance to vouch for that. Hey, look, I've been in the Marine Corps. This is where I come from. I've been with this kids from here to there. And I got a whole profile online that we could just send to the coaches and it'll beat them to the school. So there's an incentive right there. If they can earn your respect, they can earn your endorsement. And if they can get that, that can fast track themselves to their dream. It's not only my endorsement. They got a Hall of Fame running back that's backing this whole thing as well. Right. Okay. So sure. I'd like to hear more about all the, the rest of the team later. But let's yes, dig in today because I have listeners who are tuning in. To, this is the Mission Impossible show. You mentioned the word impossible before. You've been in some very impossible situations in your career. The, the Navy Cross wasn't handed out like an M&M. This was earned, and this was earned through an incredible, extraordinary event. Would you mind just drilling into it? Just take us through a little bit about what set the scene what actually happened? Where were you? Give us a little glimpse. Okay. I will tell you, and my Marines used to get mad at me about it. I never wanted to go. I never wanted to go. I was supposed to get out of the Marine Corps in 2003 when I came back from my first combat deployment, which was in Mosul, Iraq. I was supposed to get out of the Marine Corps. I've always embodied the saying, I'm my brother's keeper. I didn't know it was a biblical term until recently. I got it from a movie, New Jack City. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool when I was a kid. I can have siblings. I'm going to take care of my brothers, too. And I've always embodied that. When I was preparing the transition out of the Marine Corps, I saw all of my peers got out of the Marine Corps. Our entire company were new. Now, I was picking kids up from School of Infantry on Camp Geiger and Camp Lejeune. I would go pick those kids up. I was way better shape. I was like that guy in the picture. I'm not him no more. I depend on about 20, 30 pounds. But then I was somebody to be reckoned with. And I would pick the kids up from, from SOI, School of Infantry, show them ropes, get them all checked in and stuff. And I just recognized that there's going to be no leadership on the battlefield except for our staff and COs. And they have to manage the fight. They're not going to really be able to fight the fight. And it was just in my spirit for me to stay. So I re-enlisted and stayed in the Marine Corps to go in and deployment with them. Fast forward, we get there and we are in uh, Camp Fallujah outside of the actual city of Fallujah. We're there and we get the word that we're going to go and take the city. We had artillery and fixed wing and rotary wing, which means jets and helicopters. They were shaping the city with their missiles and mortars and all that stuff, artillery rounds, all that stuff. We finally get there. We were going to one of our checkpoints. We'd already experienced a loss of some casualties. Later that night, we were going to one of our checkpoints, Route Grace. We get there. Now, prior to us leaving the country, received orders that the Iraqi Special Forces, which, were, which is the Iraqi military, they were going to be marked with a red bandana on their right arm and a white bandana on their left leg. Made no sense to me. Anyone who played cops and robbers when they were kids, they know we, hey, we just take the 
the enemy's identity and we just pretend like we're one of the good guys. 101. Yes, sir. And I, I hate that a childhood game came to life for us, but it did. May he rest in peace. Corporal Anderson at the time, he was leading our patrol. He gets to the point where we're getting ready to go down our, our route. We were told that Iraqi Special Forces weren't supposed to be in our area. I believe we were supposed to open up fire on them at sight, but obviously I wasn't in charge. I was a sergeant, had a platoon commander at the time who made a different call. Uh, Corporal Anderson stops our platoon. We all push outboard. We have dispersion to make sure that, you know, we're in a minimal safety distance from grenades or anything like that. And we have these the little thing that's hanging out of my ear on the picture that I have the rifle in. That's a, that's called a PRR. I don't remember what PRR stands for, but it wasn't a good radio. So I was able to hear everything that was going on. And I'm in the back of the formation screaming, open fire, open fire. They're not supposed to be here. Open fire. I'm not a malicious person at all, but at the end of the day, rules are rules. And we don't know the Iraqi Special Forces. They don't know us. I automatically assume that if they're not where they're supposed to be at, they're probably enemy combatants dressed up like the good guys. They couldn't hear me. So I'm a machine gunner. And my job as a machine gunner is to make sure I support the advancement of the attack and rifle platoons by securing the most likely avenues of approach of the enemy, long axes of the beating zones and all that kind of stuff. So they couldn't hear me. These are my machine guns and my machine gun squads for them to cover the roads and stuff that I believe the enemy probably had the best chance of coming down, probably flank us or attack us from the rear. And I'm running to the front of the platoon. What gave me nightmares probably more intensely than any I've ever had was as I'm running down, I see or I hear they pick the platoon up and we get ready to start moving. And as we pick the platoon up, the enemy that was marked with the friendly markings of the red man down on the right arm and the white man down on the left leg opened up the alleyway with my deuce machine gun fire 50 caliber machine gun fire rpk fire i think it was even some rpgs i couldn't get there in time by the time i got there our platoon sergeant at the time he had already established a casualty collection point it's pretty much just take a house make sure it's clear and we're going to take our casualties in here and when i get there he tells me you know what happened i think anderson may be dead and i think we have two other ones that are hit and i can't get to him we don't have tank support we don't have close air support for like the next 45 minutes. My mind, I'm just thinking, can't leave them out there. We got to figure this out. And I told him, I said, I go get them. Just don't let me die. He said, well, be safe. Try not to get hit. And obviously, we had all this gear on and stuff, as you can see in the photo behind you. I took all that crap off. I took it all off. And I just wanted to rely on speed and God to protect me. I am looking for Corporal Anderson. That's the Marine that I trained. That's the Marine that I know. I know the other two guys as well, and I love them the same, but they were junior guys. I didn't really know them. My goal was to make sure that I can get out there to get to Anderson. But in doing so, I had to get to these other guys first. So as I run across this alleyway, the enemy, they open up fire, and I see rounds hitting in front of me, rounds hitting in back of me. They rest in peace, but I landed on top of, at the time, Lance Corporal Kelly. I heard a story, I think he was killed in Afghanistan. As he became a commissioned officer, he deployed again and he was killed in Afghanistan. But he was one of my Marines. He was an assaultment with us in Bravo Company 1-8. And I landed on top of him and he told me where everyone was at. And we just laying down, and hold our heads down. When there was a lull in the fire, I got up and I ran. I jumped over this porch. So we're in an alleyway, pretty much the back of the Iraqi houses. And I jump over this porch, I land over land on a group of Marines. I can't tell you who I was there. All I remember is I was asking who's hit, who's hit. And it was Russell. His leg was holding on by a piece of flesh as big as your wrist. And I don't mean to be too gory, but it's kind of want to set the tone for you. And I picked him up and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to run with him without getting shot. I heard one of 
my 240 golf machine guns. I think it was either Lance Corporal Corbis or Corporal Rose at the time. I'm not really sure which one of those Marines actually was able to fire the enemy to give us that break. I got Russell on my shoulder and I'm running across the street. I remember bullets hitting in front of my feet, hitting behind my feet, and they're getting closer to me. And as they're getting closer to me, I remember thinking they're about to hit me and I fall into a pothole. I fall into a pothole. They teach you that when you're receiving incoming fire, indirect fire, you lay perpendicular to the rounds, meaning that the rounds are coming this way. You just pretty much make a T against the fire. And I fell in the pothole. And me and Anderson both just fell perfectly perpendicular to the rounds. I remember seeing bullets hit right before him, skip past him, and then hit after. Now, I don't know if the listeners, if you believe in God or not, but if you believe in potholes, and the potholes save our life that night. If you believe in God, then I think God used a pothole to use to save us. After the Brown skipped past us. I got up, I picked him up, and I got him to Staff Sergeant Brown and our corpsman, Doc Naderman and Doc Lewis. I haven't seen those guys since the battlefield. I don't know if this will ever get out to them or not, but I'm extremely proud of them, extremely proud to be have served with them. And those guys did a remarkable job. Drop him off, and I go back out. Kelly had told me where everyone was at. So I'm crawling on the ground, trying to stay low to the ground. And I think that the enemy had to have night vision capability because you can see I'm pretty dark and it was dark outside. So they had to be able to see me some kind of way. And they were really close to hitting me. And I'm crawling on the ground, I'm crawling in the bushes. I have no idea where I'm going. I'm just crawling, just low crawling like they teach you. And I meet this porch and I just jump over the porch and I luckily found that's Corporal Dominance. Uh, he got shot through the trap. He was a little bitty guy. I think Dominance was from Florida, I think. And Dominican, I think he was. He refused to leave his weapon, took all his gear off, picked him up, and I'm running with him. He's shooting his M16 as best as he can. And when I come back, finally, we got tank support. I don't know how long I was doing all the running and stuff. I just know it was my adrenaline was pumping. And the tanks arrived. And on the back of the tank, there's a phone. You can talk to the inside of the tank crew. They teach you don't stand too close to the tank because you can get burned or when they fire the rounds, you can receive a concussion. I'm not moving away from the tank. These people are shooting, so I'm going to stay here. <laughs> so I'm talking on the tank, orient them to where I think the enemy's coming from. I still haven't seen the enemy. I just know where the bullets are coming from. They fired two volleys out of the tank. And it dazed me. I remember my ears was ringing. I had snot coming out of my nose and everything. They fired two more rounds. I think they pretty much leveled this building. By the time I come to, because I was holding on to the tank and I'm walking, by the time I back to being able to recognize what's going on, we're standing over Anderson's body. We take him in. The corpsman told us that they think he died on impact. It was direct impact from the 50 cal machine gun he passed. That the story that Navy Cross thing was wrote up for, but there's a thing called summer of action in the Marine Corps. There's a whole lot of other stuff that we'll probably get into another time, but it was the hardest part of it all wasn't that. The hardest part of it all was my platoon being demoralized. You know what I'm saying? There's, it's not fun when the rapper has a gun and we were, we were broken. We were devastated. It was like, this is really happening. And to have to have this big lump in your throat and you want to share this, this pain with your Marines, but you can't because we got to get out of here. We got a mission to keep pushing forward and be resilient and get payback. To swallow that probably was the most difficult thing. And running around yelling at them, let's go get back in the fight. We got to do this. We got to move forward. That probably was the most difficult part of it all. No time to blink though. It's action time, and that's what you were trained to do. Yes, sir. I want to thank you for your service, and just hearing the story, I'm sure putting it in such a condensed way, uh, just for the benefit of some listeners out there, it has to be a reliving of all the emotions that go through it, L losing, losing somebody so close to you, the men that you had.
They looked up to you. There was trust had broken. And you started out our show tonight. You talked about there's something, there's something called there is no certainty. Isn't that what yes. you said? Yes, sir. There's no certainty. And because there's no certainty and you were kind enough to also tell us that you have two choices. Listeners, you can believe in a pothole if you like, if you believe in potholes, or you can believe in the strength and the wisdom and the guidance of the Lord. And that's probably the road I'm going to take. And I'm going to say that I'm, thank God that he was with you and, and, and helped guide the rest of your men on to safety. Incredible story, Aubrey. Incredible. I'd be so pleased and honored to work with you on some of your projects. You'll be helping these uh, young people be able to see the light. But you know what? To see the light, you've had to understand what darkness has been. And you've went through that. You've, you've walked through a baptism of fire. And we're all training the military to walk through fire. That's what they train us to do. The thing is, is that not everybody has to face the fire. And you did. Not only did you face the fire, but you had to face it, retrace it, face it, retrace it. Again, sir, thank you so much for your service. It's, a, it's an honor to have you on the show tonight. Thank you so much, sir. Apologize for letting these tears run. I thought I was. Sir, yeah. those, are, those are not tears. Um, those are stars. And those stars go to all of the fallen. Because you're here today, and there are some who didn't make it. Just like today, we're in a world where you, there is no certainty. We're in a pandemic called COVID-19. Nobody has a pass. And everybody is vulnerable. And there is no certainty. And so to have voices like you, courage that you've demonstrated to be with us tonight to help know that the future might be better off with an Aubrey McDade guiding young people. And a future might be better off when an Aubrey McDade can tell that story, just like you just told it and shared it with our audience tonight. Because you were on a really, really impossible situation. And nobody the way that you told it, nobody knows how much time from the time things started going down to the time you got into the pothole. I'm guessing maybe it could have been minutes. It happened so fast and it was almost over before you know it. Maybe, maybe 10, 15 minutes from start to finish. Is that right? Well, he told me we didn't have tank support for like 45 minutes. If that was true and my tanks showed up, then it had to be at least 30 plus minutes. Yeah, and I got part of the story I'm sorry, but I just, I enjoyed, former military, I enjoyed when you were on that tank and on the phone, tank phone, and you were talking to them, you were using that tank as your own remote, remote control as a weapon. You were yes, using sir. that tank as a weapon. That's amazing. I mean, I, I would just like to see that reenacted because that is, that is some badass stuff there, Mr. Aubrey. Thank you. Yes, sir. We're very, very happy to have you, as I said. All right, so Aubrey, listen. When's the next time, when's the next program at one of your schools that you're going to do? I need to know. Well, I have a meeting with the coach in the morning, Coach Hill out of Godley High School. It's on the north side of Fort Worth, I think. Yes, sir. So yes, I, sir. I meet with him tomorrow morning, and we'll figure out a lunch date for Godley High School. This week, maybe next week, I'll meet up with Louisville High School, hopefully Eastern Hills High School. Hopefully we got all those ducks in a row. Eastern Hills High School and get that squared away as well. well I, so Godly High School will most likely be first. So give or take, no later than first week of October. Here's the thing. Our greatest asset in this country is our youth. And our greatest treasure is our experience that we can pass on to our youth. So I know for sure that you're on a mission. It's God's mission. 
you've decided to take it. It's your pothole. And inside that pothole, there are the gold, the nuggets of our youth that you might nurture and shape and help push them and point them in a way that's going to empower them to have more possibilities in their lifetime based on the sacrifices that you and your soldiers and your Marines made along the way. Yeah, for sure. Sir, thank you for that. And it's, it's something I believe that the nation needs to experience. I know hands down that it works. We just have to get it out there and to get it out there to the rest of the, the country to see. And there's going to be a lot more Marines, sailors, Army, soldiers, airmen like me to do this in their region of the world as well once we get this thing expanded and built the right way. It's wonderful. I, I know it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, a joy to do this work. It's going to give you a lot of power. It's going to give you a passion that you're going to be able to channel. It's a wonderful thing. Aubrey, publicly, I'm, I'm sure that you have a lot of colleagues who are ready to help you and join in this. Please reach out to me as well. I'd like to be part of it in some way that if it's something that I can support. I've been involved in an NGO for 20 years overseas, and I'll be happy to see how we can collaborate with your program. Just to support you would be an honor to be able to know that I've supported you in any way. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Aubrey McDade, ladies and gentlemen, how can people reach out to you if they want to get in touch with you? Can they follow you on any, any social media? A father of nine going on 10? How do we follow yes, you? We just, we just see a big bus of McDades going down the road and say, there, there he is. How do we do <laughs> well, that? Well, I'm working on getting the bus built. I am absolutely the worst when it comes to social media. I'm going to get better at it. I have Facebook. I have an Instagram. I have LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably the, the best way to follow me. I don't do a lot of posting. I just kind of, I usually use the social media just to check in on my Marines and the guys I serve with. I don't really do a lot of connecting. I'm going to get better at that. Though, I got because... you. Listen, it's, it's not a moral imperative. I just know there's going to be a lot of people interested. So follow Audrey at, Aubrey at the moment on LinkedIn, folks, if you want to. And then, of course, you can just look, look up on the internet and you find out some of the activities because he's certainly not going to be flying under the radar going forward. Whatever he's going to be doing is going to be impactful. It's going to be important and it's going to be uh, transparent. So take care of your heart there, Mr. Aubrey McDade. Take care of the kids' hearts as you'll be managing them and holding them in your heart, in your hands. And we thank you, sir, as a Marine. We thank you for serving our country. We thank you for volunteering your time to look after the youth of our future. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. God bless Thank you for joining The Real Mission. We welcome you to explore the next Real Mission on Possible with Coach MJ. Meet ordinary people who have achieved the extraordinary. Like, share, and comment to inspire others today.